Lots full. Folks are still coming in, so if you would scoot in or help guide people to the seats that are next to you. Um, if uh, if you, Deacons, I'm telling you, there are almost always seats in the front row. Almost always. It's the spray zone, I recognize, but I promise to stay as far away as possible and try to keep that from happening. But... Uh, Hopefully, we'll, we'll get a little more of our parking lot back soon. Um, a quick quick comment on that. Uh, uh, where our building is concerned, as you can see, progress is still being made. Most of it is on the inside now because of the rain. We didn't get any more stucco on this week, but they're still proceeding. This next week, they're hoping to get quite a bit more on the exterior of the building. Um, once that stucco portion gets on, they'll also be starting to look at... Uh, Brick, because those towers, the tall corners of the building, are actually bricked. And so that, once the stucco is cured and we get some warm days, they'll be putting those on as well. But inside, there's a lot of sheetrock on it. Um, they're finally getting the, the, the surface on the stage. It took the fire marshal over two weeks to get here to clear that piece of work so that they could cover it up, because it, it does have sprinklers under the stage. But um, that did put some damper on our uh, timings for things. But uh, I'm asking them to kind of see what we can do about getting us, pulling those time, that time back and trying to get us back on a, on a closer to when we were supposed to finish schedule. I'll let you know how that works out on February the 2nd because there'll be a gathering of our church after lunch where we'll do any questions you have, any, any thoughts you have. I'll answer every question I can except those from Gary Perkins. I'm not answering any of his uh, the rest of you, I'll answer your questions. So if you see Gary raise his hand, just tell him. He's not answering your questions. But um, it'll just be an opportunity for us to talk a little bit about where we are and what's going on and uh, get a chance to uh, take a look. If you, you, know, you can see quite a bit right now through the windows out into the, to the area that's there. Uh, we're hoping to get some parking spaces back. Um, we just, I just opened the construction gate or sent someone to open the construction gate a few minutes ago and asked them to kind of start sending people into that construction area carefully watching out for the nails. Okay. So, um, in the, in the, in the process of all of this that's going on, we've been talking about blessing the people who are working here and that's been great. Many of you have been doing it and, uh, Sheree Klein is going to, has kind of taken over some leadership in this and I'm excited about what she has to show you today. Do, you, I, do I get to be Vanna White? Yes. In a second. Oh. I was so excited. Good morning, church family. Good morning, Sheree. So glad to see so many faces this morning because I need for you to help me. Okay, so the pastor asked me to help organize a little bit. We're going to step up to the plate. We're going to turn up the heat. We're going to love on these workers that are building our building. Amen. We're going to empower them through the love that this church family can pour out on them. Can I hear an amen? Amen. I thought we already said can amen to that. Can I hear an amen a little louder? Amen. Okay. I have a microphone that helps. So I want you to know that there are two ways that you can support our workers. And I'm going to tell you about both of them. The very first way is something that you can do today. It takes two seconds. I have um, put together... Um, okay, Vanna. Is this my Vanna part? This is your Vanna part. I've put together a simple bulletin board that we are going to put someplace in the workplace for our gentlemen. And what I'd like for you to do today is I would like for you, paper will be provided and a pen. 
I would like for you to write a note, a quick, simple, big note, but I would like for you to be specific and write something affirming. Big like big printing? Yes. Encouraging. Um, I like sheet rockers. <laughs> Stucco guys are awesome. Um, today is going to be a great day. And then I'm going to get you started. Oh, that's the scary part. Someone can get hurt with that. And I signed my name because I want them to know that we are real people in this church who are loving on them, praying for them, and who want them to want, we want them to know how much we appreciate what they're doing. So the message that I'd like for you to write, big, okay, simple, encouraging, affirming, uh, uplifting, okay? I will be at the back of this service today with pen, paper, and push pins, so please fill up my board today before you leave. Will they have an opportunity to write more or like next week, week after that maybe? Yes, because okay. I'd like to change the board every week. So if you think of a quote, something funny, cute, awesome that you'd like to put on the board, next week you will have another opportunity. So I would like to fill up the board every single week so that every week when our workers are working in the building, they're passing by and they're like, oh, have a great day. All right, I will. Okay? All right, so that was thing number one. There's the thing two. Thing two. Thing two is going to happen over the next, Pastor, I forgot to ask you, is it like 16, 18 weeks more? <sighs> yeah. Approximately? I don't even remember. 12 to, 12 to 12 to 50, I suppose. Oh. <laughs> okay. All right. So I brought a visual for you this morning because I know that many of you already have been supporting our workers in a very tangible way by bringing treats and things to eat. Well, you know, a happy tummy is a happy tummy. A happy tummy. So we would like to step up also and encourage more of you. So I have a little sign-up sheet in the back of the church that I would like for you to sign up for a week. What we would like to do in the next 15 to 20 weeks is have somebody bring something for our workers once a week. So there's some kind of specifics that you need to be aware of. So there's approximately 20 men in our building crew, okay? So whatever you need to do, whatever you do, it's got to be 20, <laughs> at least 20. They arrive at work at 7 a.m. in the morning. Their lunch is early, like 11.30, because they start early, Okay. And that the most important thing is that the treats or the meals need to be grab-and-go, easy-to-carry, Ziploc bag, okay? And these are just some ideas, right? Okay, we don't, wanna, we don't want them to know that we're all about sugar. Okay. So, you know. You don't want them to know that we're all about sugar. <laughs> so it can be anything. You know, um, if you're going to bring something to drink, it needs to be like a case of water or something in a can. Again, something grab and go. You know, popcorn, muffins. Have your kids get in, get together with another family and have your kids make 20 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and put them in a bag and stick a note in it. Um, and pizza, brownies, mandarin oranges are so um, in 
abundance right now. Go and get a couple big bags and bring them and drop them off at the church. If you drop it off at the church, it doesn't matter what time during the week, we will make sure that our workers get them. So I brought you the visual because I just want you to know that they're very simple, easy things. Um, so this week when I was um, at Costco, I was shopping for myself. Um, Zach, you're Vanna White now. You're Vanna now. I found this box of soft and chewy granola bars. There's 64 of them in here. I was so excited, but I was mainly excited because it only cost me $5.47 because it was on sale. So this week, these next few weeks, when you're doing shopping for your family, just keep it in mind. Hey, I could pick one of those up and drop them off at the church for the workers. Thank you, sweetheart. So again, like I said, I will be at the back of the service today. I will have my cards for you to sign, and I will have my sign-up sheet. Can I just see maybe a show of hands? <laughs> commit now. <of> commitment <laughs> for, like, at least 16 families. Can I see you? All right. I see at least 16 now. Do you it went see up and down. at least 16? Yeah. Some went up and came back down. They were timidly okay. involved. I want you actually to sign up because I would like for there to be once a week for the next several, several weeks. So please come see me in the back at the end of the service. Thank you so much, and please continue to pray um, and lift them up. Thank you, Cherie. And please do continue to pray. Um, I'm, uh, it's, it's such a blessing when, they, when the folks on the job side are saying things like, oh, I don't know, man, things just work out on this job. So um, I'm just really glad to see the effects of that in people's lives. Um, one of the guys, his name is Vinny. He's the uh, lead electrician on the site. He's a, um, he, after someone brought some things, in fact, it was Sheree, uh, brought some things a, a couple weeks ago. Um, he said, oh man, thank you so, so very much. And I said, I had nothing to do with that. All I did was tell you there was food here. And he goes, no, no, but your church, thank your church so very much. So they recognize that a, a, a sandwich given to them is a gift from all of you. So thank you so much for being able, being involved in blessing them. And those of you, I think there are probably half a dozen families who've already been doing this. I just want you to know, it puts a smile on their face and it, and it just puts a, a lightness in their step when you do. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, this, today we're going to talk about abundance. And we're specifically talking about abundance facing the law. I was actually planning to move on. I was only planning on this series being two, and it got to be three because of the comments and questions in the in the second look class last week. And uh, someone asked, "Well, okay, abundance, I get all that, but what about what about the, the the activities, the law, the things we're required, or whatever to do?" And so I thought, "Okay, let's talk about those things." And so what I want to talk about today is abundance facing the law. If you're new to our to our church, if this is your first time with us, um, that. Sunday that you're looking at right there is real. That is not a picture from stock photos somewhere on the internet. That's a picture I took while at Leatherby's with some of our church members. And I want you to know that is not mine. You could tell if it were mine because it would be chocolate whipped cream on the top. I don't eat the regular stuff. I order the chocolate stuff. But I am telling you that is an abundant Abundant, abundant hot fudge Sunday. Abundance is beyond the expected norm. 
Abundance means it's beyond what you expect. It's beyond the ordinary. It's extraordinary in what you're looking at. And so if you think about it, that is abundance in a picture. It's got a plate under it. We've talked about this. Leatherbees, they put a plate under your ice cream because they put so much ice cream in the, the bowl or the dish that it won't hold it. You can see it's running over the side. The hot fudge is beginning to melt the ice cream. I'm getting hungry just looking at it. The nuts are rolling down the side over here and onto the plate below. By the way, that's a rookie mistake. You should always order your hot fudge on the side. Don't make this rookie mistake. Then your ice cream stays ice cream and your hot fudge stays hot fudge. And they don't become a conglomerate of sort of medium temperatured things. Abundance is God's description of what he's doing here. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. What if you took that as Jesus' mission statement? What if you took that as a description of Jesus' mission? If you took that as a description of God's mission to us, what if that were the mission statement of God? If you were to say, okay, I went through the Bible looking for God's mission statement, and I found it. There it is in John chapter 10, verse 10. I have come. The reason I'm here, I have come. The reason I'm on the planet, is to help you understand, to help you experience life. And not just life getting by. Life in abundance. I have come to you might have life. And life more abundantly. Would it, would it refocus the way you looked at the rest of Scripture? Would it provide a, a lens for understanding some things differently? That's kind of what I want to do today. I want to put those lenses on your eyes and walk through, walk through some things in Scripture. Okay? I want you to kind of get these abundant, abundant lenses on. So because I know that that ice cream cone doesn't fit everybody's desires for wonderfulness, I think it should, but it doesn't always. So this is an abundant picture. Right? It's a beautiful lake. It happen, happens to be actually in Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. It's a beautiful lake. There were some, some Canadian geese who were lost and hanging out in San Francisco, cruising across the lake. There's a, a, a little guy in the, in the bottom left corner over there who's right now about to say, mine, mine, mine. You can't see it, but this lake is full of fish. It's an abundant sort of scene. Get it? It's a, it's a wonderful, beautiful, glorious sort of a place. You wouldn't expect a sinful world to have nice things. We live in a sinful, messed up world, and yet there are beautiful opportunities, beautiful things that we get to experience. A sunset and a sunrise every day. Those beautiful things are beyond the expectation of a messed up, broken world. Abundance. Now... This next picture is after my grandsons. Those are a couple of my, my grandsons on the, on the corner of the picture over there. After they began throwing bread into the water. After they started to cast their bread upon the water, the abundance started coming toward them. Before very minute, very few minutes passed, the geese had gathered at our little location along the shore. And they had started to surround my grandsons, two of which were shorter than the geese. And they started to follow these little guys away who now have bread. And they're like, what do I do now? I'm trying to get away from this animal who's going to attack me for my bread. 
Because the, the animals who were around don't have an abundant mentality. They have a scarcity mentality. You can't really see them very well. I don't know if you can see them at all. But right below where my, where my grandson with the blue hat is, right below him, there are three fish who are literally sticking their faces out of the water to see if they might get a portion of what's there. Now, the reason I say this is a mindset of scarcity is because these are the most well-fed birds and fish in the country. There were three other people on different parts of the lake throwing things into the water for these same animals. And so they were getting plenty, but they wanted more. They wanted to get theirs. They wanted to make sure they got what they wanted. They wanted to make sure that they got their part. See, a a scarcity mindset, the mindset that there is not enough makes you a greedy person. The scarcity mindset makes you an anxious and fearful person. It makes you cause, it causes you to make decisions that are based on the wrong idea. You want to take away from other people. You want to make sure that other people aren't getting your share, your fair share. If you're concerned about fairness on a regular basis, you've probably got a scarcity mindset. If you're, particularly if your fairness is aimed at you, I want to make sure it's fair for me. If you're making sure it's fair for others, you might have an abundant mindset. Beware of this, this concept. It is, it is a result of broken, sinful human nature. It is not how God behaves. And it is not how God wants you and I to live in our world. He wants us to be those people who go against the grain and think of things and think of Him and think of our opportunities for others as abundant. Studies for generations have shown that people who actively give have better, happier, more fulfilled lives. And I'm not talking about giving to church, though I think that's a good thing. I'm talking about giving, period. Giving things to others, blessing other people, making sure that when, that they're having people over once in a while, making sure that they're reaching out and touching their neighbor, mowing someone's lawn, taking care of somebody, helping someone else, looking out for a place where they might be a blessing to someone. Those people live better, more abundant, happier lives. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Not only that you will experience it for yourself, but that you will become a purveyor of abundance in our world. You with me so far? Not if you're with me all the way to the back. Back row. Those are small nods for people that far back. You got to move your head more than that so I can actually see it. Scarcity is the enemy of abundance. Jesus came that you might experience abundance. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So is abundance, is abundance just a Jesus thing? Or is abundance a God thing? Is abundance just a Jesus thing? Is abundance a God thing? Okay, I'm just trying to make sure we're following because the concept here could change the way you think about the world you live in. If Jesus is the exact representation of God in human flesh and he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly, is it possible that God's goal since the fall is to help mankind have life and have it more abundantly Despite the fall. Malachi chapter 3. 
I, the Lord, do not change. I don't change. I love the second half of this. It says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord God Almighty. I don't change. So I haven't moved. One of my favorite illustrations in, in this description, I told you the picture before. Two people are traveling down the road. They've been married for 20, 30 years. She's sitting against her window looking outside. He's sitting there in the driver's seat looking outside. They're not talking. They're just driving. They're somewhere in one of those roads that's just straight. You've been on some of those, right? It's turning every two or three hours. They're just driving down that road and it's, it's monotonously straight and monotonously, and there's no one out there. They're the only people on the street. It goes on and it goes on and it goes on. Some of you know where I'm going because you've heard me tell you this story before. I'm so glad when this happens because then the next time someone brings something like this up, you have an illustration for them. Finally, a car comes. It's way off in the distance at first and they watch it as it gets closer because it's pretty much the only thing going on. Both of them focus their eyes on the car. The car gets closer and closer and closer and closer. And finally, as the car gets getting, starts getting close enough to see the person in the car, as the sun shines through the windshield, they see this huge, I mean, huge person behind the steering wheel of this car. And now they're really stuck and they're really fascinated and they're watching as this car gets right up on them and as it gets just 50 feet away and then right by. They both follow it. And then they drive. And she looks out the window. And it goes on for about 10 minutes. And finally the wife breaks the silence. She says to him, that was two people. We used to sit together like that. Husband doesn't say a word. By the way, ladies, doesn't mean he's not interested. He's processing. You have the latest equipment for processing information. He has a Commodore 64. If you're too young to know what that is, ask your parents. You might have to ask your grandparents. And a little time passes. It's not 10 minutes. It feels like forever to her. But finally, he looks at the seat. It's a bench seat between the two of them. Looks up at her and he says, I haven't moved. God hasn't moved. He came the day after the fall offering the relationship they had before. He shows up in the cool of the day. They've changed. He hasn't. Come to me, return to me, and I will return to you. I'm not changing. I'm not changing the way I do things. I'm not changing the rules. I'm not changing. Come back. I'm still here. I haven't moved. So by grace, you are saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, has always been the rule. This isn't a New Testament concept. 
This is a biblical concept. This is why Abraham could believe God and it be accounted to him as righteousness. Because his righteousness was based on his faith. When the Apostle Paul is making the argument for righteousness by faith, he makes the argument from the Old Testament. This is not a new rule with Jesus. This is a God rule throughout Scripture. Different cultural interpretations, different cultural interactions, because people are different in different times. But the same rule. You follow so far? I'm building a case, so I need you to see the foundations being laid. So abundance. The law of God in the Old Testament, if God is trying to give them abundance like he's giving you, has to be about abundance. Is that frightening to anyone? If the law of God hasn't changed, if God hasn't changed, then what you read in the commandments in in, in Exodus chapter 20 has to be about abundance. Because God has been on the same mission since the beginning. Maybe some different expressions. We don't kill sheep anymore. But the same outcome is the aim. So, the commandments are descriptions of how to have an abundant relationship with God and other men. Do you get the two parts? Do you see two parts? You're having an abundant relationship with who? God and man. You're having an abundant relationship with God and with man. The commandments are simply a description of how that process might work for you. Descriptions or the, the, the New Testament one-liner, love God, love your neighbor. Jesus said, on this hangs all the law and the prophets. Everything. Summary statement, love God, love your neighbor. You want to know how to really serve God? You want to really kind of get yourself together? You want to know what you're supposed to do? That's it. Love God. Love your neighbor. Same expression in the commandments. Love God. Love your neighbor. Same expression for the disciples of Jesus. Love God. Love your neighbor. Same expression for the people who live toward the end of time. Love God. Love your neighbor. Same expression for what's happening in the kingdom of heaven. Love God. Love your neighbor. The changes are in us, not God. Love God. Love your neighbor. Don't get into the, uh, the weasel question. You know what the weasel question is, right? That's the question you're using to try to weasel out of your responsibility. That's the weasel question. The weasel question here is, who's my neighbor? Two doors down. One door down. The guy across the the cranky guy across the street. Nobody wants to be his neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Think about it. I have things I have to do. Exodus chapter 20 then, quickly. First commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You know why? You know why this is abundant? Because there are no other gods. And if you're not worshiping this God, you're worshiping a rock or a stump or a bush or a light in the sky. Period. The commandments are, are simple and clear about this. The Bible is simple and clear about this. There are no other gods. So if you're worshiping something else, you're not worshiping God. 
And your life will be much better if you stop worshiping the rock who can't answer your prayers and start worshiping God who can. A prophet's over and over again. They make fun of people. They say, you go cut down a tree, you bring it in. Half of it you use to, to cook your meals or warm your house. And the other half you turn into a God and you pray to that thing. What's wrong with you? That's almost a direct quote from Jeremiah, except for the last little phrase. That's implied. Hebrew is very expansive language. You should not make for yourself any carved images. You should not bow down to them nor serve them. So if you take, so I've got the real God. I know who the real God is. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make myself an idol for my house so that I can worship the real God. You know what happens as soon as you do that? You make the real God manageable for you. That diminishes God. It shrinks God down to a size you can handle. That's all legalism is. Legalism is you and I trying to shrink God down to a size we can handle. A a little God that we can manipulate. When we try to make an image of God, no matter what it is, when we try to think, when we imagine that it's possible in our little bitty pea brain to explain everything there is to explain about God, we have to diminish God. Because your little brain and our great big God don't compare. The day you can explain God, you get to be God. Do you understand how logically that has to be true, right? The logic of this, if you get, if, if you are smart enough to explain God, you're smarter than God. It'll give you indigestion if you think about it long enough. You should not make any graven images. You're not supposed to make an image of even the real God because to do so is to diminish God. The next one, people forget. We miss this one all the time. We don't even know what this one means. We think this one means you shouldn't cuss. You're, you shouldn't cuss. The Bible has things to say about it. You shouldn't do it. But what it's really about is about fake religion. It's it's about pretending your faith. To take God's name in vain, to claim that you are a believer without actually having anything behind it, without actually following, listening, praying, doing, being a follower of God, if you just borrow the name for the sake of whatever. It always scares me when I get a salesman's uh, card and it has a cross on it. It always bothers me. If you are in sales, please take the cross off your card. It just gives me the creeps. Because I immediately think, oh, he's using that, so I'll listen to him. You get nowhere with me. I don't know other Christians might, but you get nowhere with me. You actually make me suspicious. Don't use God's name for your benefit to try to try to get something out of it, to try to try to manipulate other people, change the way people think about you. Don't use God's name as virtue signaling. We've got so much virtue signaling in our world today. Everybody wants to be seen as doing the right thing. So I'm a Christian. Look at me. No, no, no. This commandment says don't do that. Don't be a fake believer because a fake believer is worse than a non-believer. Not worse in the eyes of God, worse for you. If you're a fake, you get none of the benefits. And you just get frustrated because nothing is really happening to you. So the third commandment is really about not being a fake. It's about about really committing. If you're going to take the name of God, commit. Go with it. Do it. And it's, it's not, okay, now you have to be perfect. It's now follow me, man. Just follow me. Give me authority and responsibility for what happens. Just follow me. That's the third commandment. I'm skipping one. Did you notice? Fourth commandment is the Sabbath. I'll get back to it. And then 
your relationships with others. Loving your neighbor. You shall not murder. Bad for your relationship. Enough said. You should not commit adultery. Bad for your relationship. You should not steal. You shall not lie about your neighbor. Please fill in the blank. Don't lie about your neighbor. Bad for your relationship. In the first three, you're talking about your relationship with God and building a more abundant relationship with God. In the last four, these four, you're talking about building a more abundant relationship with your fellow man, with your neighbors. Now let's get to the other three. Remember the Sabbath. Stop. Stop and let God be God for at least one day a week. For at least one day a week, back out of your job, back out of those things that you think you're responsible for and controlling the world around you and let God be God. The Sabbath is cool. It's about an abundant relationship with God. It's also about practicing an abundant relationship with God. Turn off all the things that give you the authority and let God be God. Back out of all the things you feel responsible for and let God be responsible for them. You know what that means? God is getting to be God. One day a week, back it up and practice. Practice letting God be God. For one lousy day, it'll get better the next day. And the more you do it and the more you practice it, the more it will become part of the bigger life you live. It can be scary. It can be scary to let God be God because you're so used to being God. You're supposed, so used to running your own little fiefdom. But if you let God be God, if you, if you practice this on that one day a week, it can transform the way you understand his authority and his power and his presence in your world. It can make Monday different. When you go to work and all this stuff is piled on your desk and you think, oh my, how is this going to happen? And you go, oh, I know. I could let God be God. That's, that's what I'll do today. I, my, 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 my shot at this Monday is going to be letting God be God. The next one, I pulled it out because it takes a little more explanation. Do you notice I added a word? The text is usually stated in honor your father and your mother. I put it in the negative because I think we misunderstand what's being said. Don't dishonor your parents. We used to use the word dis. We don't use it anymore. We, we talk about dissing somebody, meaning we've dishonored them, right? We've said something bad about them. The text is simply saying, don't do that to your parents. Now, some of you have parents who behave dishonorably, right? In a room this size... Certainly at least 20% of you have had parents who behaved dishonorably. You don't have to run that up the flag all the time. You don't have to make that the excuse for your own bad behavior in the future. You don't have to tell everybody who talks to you, well, I have crummy parents. My dad was a jerk. You don't have to do that. You can let that lie and move on. It will not only bless them, it will bless you. Because the more you repeat that story, the more you drag that anchor into your future. 
And if you learn the secret of letting go, which is forgiveness, if you learn the secret of letting go, which is forgiveness, the day you do, the anchor falls off. And your life is transformed. Would your life be more abundant on the other side of that? You see? And the last one, Paul's favorite commandment. Don't cut it. We could state this one in the positive. Be satisfied with what God has blessed you with. Be satisfied with the blessings God has poured out on you. Don't expect to take over the things of others, even in your imagination. Don't expect all outcomes to be equal, even in your imagination. You don't know how your, your neighbor got that house or that car. They may have been working really super hard to get there. And God bless that hard work that they're doing. Been, they may be super talented, like 10 times more talented than you. And if you ended up with their stuff, you would just be overwhelmed. The story of a pastor who got a huge big church and he got, the church got built and um, the pastor didn't know what to do. Actually told his church, you've been giving me this amazing church and I don't know how to run it. And eventually, it took him a while, but he eventually retired from ministry out of that church. Let somebody who knew how to run it, run it. God has given you the blessings for you. And sometimes he's limited those blessings because you can't handle more. Don't get caught up in wishing you had someone else's blessing. It will also be an anchor to your life. And your life will be more abundant when you let that baby go. You get it? The commandments of God are not fences on the world. We look at the commandments of God so often like they are some, somehow holding us back. They're nothing like that. The commandments of God simply blow up the fence of sin. The commandments of God are simply the openings in the wall of our prison that invite us out into a greater, more abundant, more wonderful life with God and a greater, more abundant, more wonderful life with each other. These are the ways God blows those walls all wide open so you can experience what he really wanted you to experience. Abundance. Amazing, wonderful abundance. Don't turn these things into a ladder to get God's approval. These things exist because he approves of you. They exist because he loves you. He said, you live in the armpit of the universe. Let me show you how to live there in a way that you'll like it. You'll be blessed. It'll be as good as it can possibly be given your neighborhood. Because he cares about you. I've come that you might have life. Have it more abundantly. He started the day Adam and Eve sinned. I have come, Adam and Eve, here into the garden to offer you life in spite of the choice you just made. That can be more abundant. So let me wrap this thing up. When even you talk about the laws of health, if you go and read the laws of health in the scriptures, you go, go ahead and read them. I mean, there's a bunch of them. 
There's things about food. There's things about hygiene. There's lots of different things in there. Remember the culture they're talking to. Remember who he's speaking to. Remember the, the lack of information they have about simple things like hygiene. The laws of health in the scriptures, their descriptions of fuels and behaviors appropriate and inappropriate to the body written by the designer. It's like your owner's manual. It's all. Again, not a ladder to impress God, but an owner's manual for this amazing thing. And it's not just mine. Yours is just as amazing. Remember, David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made before we had full-length mirrors. They had mirrors but they were polished brass, polished silver, so they usually were a little wavy, so it was more like a funhouse mirror. <laughs> what David was talking about is that the inner workings of who you are are fantastic. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and God gave you an owner's manual. That's all this is. Laws about the sanctuary. Bring in this sheep... Take him to this altar, cut him up, put these pieces there, take those pieces over there, give some to that guy, and take some out there and burn them. Are you doing that now? Praise the Lord. These were simply descriptions of how worship would work. This is really the lexicon of worship for the times. This is a description of how worship would go forward so that God could help them understand what was coming. This is God describing a process that would help them understand the sacrifice of someone else for them. It's an illustration of what was coming in Jesus. So don't toss these things aside willy-nilly like the New Testament took over and the Old Testament is empty. All of the New Testament is built on the Old Testament. And the abundance that's being described in the New Testament is a description of the God of the Old Testament. These are not separate beings with separate roles and separate purposes. It's all one. So was it done away with at the cross? Logically, if God is abundant there, then, and here, now, if God doesn't change, why would God do away with what God was doing? Why would Jesus dying on the cross change the nature of a pig, for example? That animal is still the same animal. Nothing's changed. Why would Jesus dying on the cross change the nature of God's desire to have you take some time off and let him be God? Why would Jesus dying on the cross change anything that God was trying to bless you with? It changes the rules of the sanctuary because it's it's been fulfilled in Christ. In fact, when you get to the place where this is being described in Colossians, Colossians describes it this way. Paul, writing to the people in Colossae, says, You were dead because of your sins, because of your sinful nature, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all your sins, canceled the record of the charges against us, took it away, nailing it to the cross. I've used this translation specifically because it tells you what the exchange is. He took away the transgression. He took away your sinful, the problems of your sin. Jesus took them on himself and that's what was nailed to the cross. 
Your sin, my sin. That's what was taken away. That's that's what's being nailed to the cross. He continues. In this way, he disarmed spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, for not celebrating certain holy days, for or new moon ceremonies, or the Sabbaths. Note the, note the plural on that Sabbath. What was happening in the church all over, Galatian, Ephesian church, Colossian church, what was happening in the church all over was that people were coming in behind the believers and they were saying, hey, 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 I know Paul came in and said that now you're covered by grace, but you know that doesn't mean that you don't have to do exactly what else is meant. So you have to be circumcised and you have to, you have to only, uh, only do these things. You have to celebrate these, these sanctuary services. You have to go and slaughter an animal every once in a while. All of that you still have to do. I, I know Paul said you're covered by grace, but you still have to do all of this. And Paul says, no, the whole system of the sanctuary was, was done away with. It was, it's unnecessary because Jesus, in fact, did away with Sabbaths. Because every one of these holy days was a Sabbath. He did away with them. He did away with all of these things like not eating uh, uh, leaven during the Passover. Done away with. It's all gone away. Are you following? Sometimes this passage gets ripped out of its context and thrown out for us to say, oh, none of this stuff that was written in the Old Testament matters anymore. It's not what it's saying. You can do those things. You can, you can give it a try. But abundance lies on the side of Jesus. The blessing he's trying to give you lies where he's giving you direction. It really does. These rules were only a shadow of the reality that has not yet come. Christ himself is that reality. Since you have been raised in new, to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then... So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Here's the crazy thing about these practices that God offers. Try this. Do this. Don't lie so much. Learn to stop lying altogether. Don't lie about your neighbor. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Try practicing the Sabbath. It's a little taste of heaven every week. Try these things that I'm showing you. See if, see if your life isn't better. And you start trying. And your life starts getting better. And your actions start to align with what God designed you to do and to be. And your life gets more abundant. You're covered by His grace. These aren't making Him love you. These aren't going to give you access to salvation but they're going to make your life better. Now, I know that's a little scary for some of you folks. But I think that's the biblical picture. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have that life more abundantly. And it's the same thing that my father was doing. It's the same thing the Holy Spirit is doing within you. It's the same thing that Moses was writing on the mountain. 
It's the same thing that was offered on day one after sin entered our planet. I haven't changed. It hasn't changed. I have come to show you the way to life and life more abundantly. Be covered by my grace. Be washed in my blood and follow me home. Let's pray.